You're listening to the One Minute Mindfulness Show with Vicki Kelly and Natalie McIver. This is the One Minute Mindfulness Show where we explore the life-enhancing power of retraining our attention systems and everyday ways to strengthen our capacity for mindful living. I'm Vicki Kelly and it's a welcome to the show and today I have to say, Omlings, I have some very special guests. Special guests who um, have actually become even more special friends uh, to me and so I'm so excited to introduce you both to uh, Chris and Glenda. Glenda, you would have known we've had on the show before. Uh, she talked about and we explored our, our inner Buddha, which um, brought some amazing feedback and was really ex- exciting. So I'm excited to have Glenda back on the show. Glenda's a mindfulness trainer who's doing some incredible work locally and uh speaks regularly at different conferences around mindfulness and is a really powerful teacher and has um, developed lots of programs to help um, everyone really, young, old, in between. In between, she's just developed a, a mindful eating program. And then we have the incredible Chris. Chris is uh, an ordained Buddhist monk. Um, and so we, I think What's we all meet. We we all lean towards that. I I, I say that Chris is is, is my my Buddha, no. <laughs> and Chris has um, an amazing background in counselling and psychotherapy. He works a lot with um, corporate groups, which corporate groups we all know are in uh, deep need of reconnecting to their inner their inner. Um, beauty and awareness and so Chris does a lot of work around that and they are going to tell you lots more about themselves but uh, the main purpose of our show today is is the outcomes of mindfulness and really why what it is about mindfulness and mindfulness practice why is it good for us and so I'm, I've invited uh, Chris and Glenda who have massive epic experience in this collectively to be able to share with us about what, what is it about mindfulness and a practice of mindfulness that is actually good for us to keep on returning to that place of uh, presence, of being aware, and why should we strengthen it? So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've already had probably about three shows. Just it, it took us a little bit of time to actually hit record. We should have been having hitting record probably before because we've already had some really insightful conversation uh, this morning. So thank you. Chris, first of all, can you give us a little nutshell about um, your background? In particular, I'm particularly interested, what was it that had you decide to become a Buddhist monk, to study that, to to be in that um, formal practice and discipline. Give us, give us the, the goods on that. <laughs> <laughs> I was a young, a young man in my early twenties, and I met a very inspiring teacher in Thailand called Achan Chah, and he's probably one of the most famous teachers from the Buddhist tradition based in Thailand. And I just was inspired by the idea of um, being a kind and loving person, and I saw that that path was a way to actually practice that. And I did that for a number of years, and I realized that there were some things that I wasn't able to address from that type of practice. And one of them was that I realized there's a lot of emotions and things that the, the practice that I was, was doing was not able to access properly. So when I left, which was quite a, quite a number of years ago, I went and trained in psychology and psychotherapy, and I've been in private practice now for uh, about 15 to 20 years. 
and really applying the principles of what I learned as a Buddhist monk around mindfulness and meditation, and also then blended with um, you know a modern understanding of how the um, the emotional needs of people and um, and and how all that works and sort of and, and coming up with a sort of a practice around that, which is really based around mindfulness. Yeah. So the interesting thing in what you were saying before was when you talked about you're wanting to create the conditions within people, not on the outside, but you're, you have a passion for creating the conditions for well-being and resilience and, and happiness. Yeah, look, what I, then, what I, yeah, exactly. But what I noticed about, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to kind of do these practices, but for me it was really important that I had an idea of how I wanted to live life. Mm. And one of these things was that, you know, whether I wanted to live life in a way that was resilient. And the, the example I use of that is in the forests when I would be living in Thailand, these big storms would come through and they would be, you know, gale force storms. And, and you'd get up in the morning and the big trees would be have been blown over, but the bamboo would have actually just moved and it would have shaken off a few leaves and things. But basically the bamboo was fine. And that's what I mean by the sense of resilience. So it's actually seeing... It's holding a position in life that when life gets a bit windy or blowy or a bit difficult, you're able to bend with it. You're still rooted. You're still... To be more like bamboo. To be more like bamboo <laughs> than a rigid tree that sort of has a very fixed position. Fixed positions, mm. I feel, are not useful. Mm, and if I may say, I mean, we know that fixed, as Chris's work is fantastic for this understanding that, you know, a fixed mindset, our knowing rather than our being, which is a growth mindset, only serves us to be stuck, you know, stuck somewhere maybe in a half-truth or certainly not reading, reaching our full potential. So that, is that like a, um, a closed mindset versus an open mindset? Yeah. Yeah, and that, exactly. But, and yet we, you know, we kind of revere the closed mindset because it's what we know. I always give an example of the person who's been in their job sort of 25 years and they're just so good to it that everybody, she's the go-to woman, you know, she's known the company all these years. And yet by being stuck in that I am knowing rather than hmm, the openness of, well, come to me with your idea, keeps people bound up in, um, as Chris sees, you know, maybe in emotions that, or responses to emotions that aren't, they have no growth or potential for fluidity in their life. Wow, that, and that's probably the, that gives me a new perspective on that whole closed and open mindset, is the, is in, in, a, in a closed mindset, it is, we know what we know what we know. And so it's it's safe because we we know our responses or know our reactions. When we open ourselves up, who knows what's going to to pop in in terms of experience or uh, or response or opportunities. And yet that's from from my understanding in, in um, mindfulness and talking with both of you. That's that's where all the the joy is and the and, and the the growth. Yes. Yeah. And Vicky, you know, I, from my perspective of parenting and, you know, this is a real issue, especially I've got to say for women, you know, this control issue of what we know, our closed mindset and what Chris's work is, is, you know, I'm so privileged to be his partner because to be um, fluid and willing to experience and he will elaborate 
how it is he helps people do this. Um, but to be um, fully aware of, of our emotion and what that's actually, um, well, you know, if keeping it closed down is um, keeping us from being fluid, then that's, that's a great key to being able to be a full human person with all experiences, you know, a little flawed perhaps and willing to go forward. And Chris, you talked about um, emotion and, and gave a really great insight of emotion as a thought or emotion as a feeling. And, I, and can you just explain, explain that a little more and let's explore that for our beautiful omlings a little more because it was a really, it was a really great way of, of a, a great distinction that I think can help us in our practice. One of, one of the things is, is that we're very heat-centered and, and you know, the, the studies show we have about 46,000 thoughts a day. And for a lot of people, um, they actually think that what they think is what they feel. And, and that's actually not true. What, what you think is a thought about an actual, uh, an actual feeling. And a true feeling or emotion, the actual experience of it is actually a physical feeling that's felt and is held in the body. Mm. And it's really interesting in the in Thailand, where I lived for a long time, they talk about the emotional center for them is in the is in the area is in the body. They don't, they they make this very clear distinction between the, the head and and the the, the the heart, which is they call the chai. So if they talk about someone being angry, they call talk about them as being jai rod, which means hot hearted. So for them, it's a very clear distinction that it's in your brain you think about things, and it's in your body that you actually feel things. Mm -hmm. And I think the major problem that we're faced with is that we've made this disconnection between our heads and actually our physical the feelings in our bodies. And our bodies, this is where our intuition is, this is where our knowing is, this is what we feel. And there was a really interesting study done, and what it was is they put um, electrodes on people's, um, you know, their body and on their brain, and they showed them images. And the people's response from the heart from the body was about two to three seconds faster than the response to the brain because this is what you you know what you feel when you see this image and you know what your response is and of course when it goes up to the brain if it's a picture of somebody your brain goes but mum said that i should like all people mum said that i should be open to all people you know and so your brain's then going through this kind of conditioned response and it's the, the problem where people have got themselves into is they're disconnected from their intuition from their gut feeling and it's not balanced with what their brain is trying to tell them to do. So, Chris, are there any specific, when you say disconnected from their intuition, intuition is that, um, is, where does that sit in the body? Does it, it, does it sit in the heart? Does it sit? So just the, the main areas is the heart or the gut, mm -hmm. you know, down in your belly. And, you know, we, we talk about this, you know, this is my... We get butterflies in our stomach. Yeah, yes. we have all those all expressions. Our language is there. We ignore the actual truth of it. Yeah, but this is my gut feeling. My heart tells me. Mm. We have all this language. I, you know, if we're feeling sad, I'm heavy-hearted. Um, you know, if we're, we're, we're angry, we talk about the fire in my belly. My indignation is like the fire in my belly. So we've got all this language already in our... Felt lexicon. like I got kicked in the guts. Yeah, exactly. It's all there. And what's actually happened is we've just become really disconnected from it. Mm. And and so what people are doing is they're trying to figure out something. And I, what I say to people is that, you know, probably about 70 or 80% of, of what's driving us is the unconscious, which is located down in the body. And we're trying to figure out how to solve life 
when we've only got 15% of the evidence. No wonder we get it wrong. No wonder we're actually imbalanced and we're off when we make a lot of these decisions because we're doing it from the brain that's often disconnected from, from the actual source of it. So do you think, um, and this is, a, this is a, a question, do you think that part of that disconnection comes from protection because we're not, we're not uh, taught or encouraged or modelled how to deal with uh, yeah. painful emotions or painful thoughts or feelings. No, when they did a study, connect. Yeah, they did a study, Vicky, of breath. In, you know, and when a child was born, and the study showed that they had that natural kind of breathing cycle that you'd have like a cat or a dog breathing in and out. And by the time those kids got to preschool, all of them, their breath was affected. You know, so their breath was stilted or held. Mm. And what this is, is this conditioning process. And so you see a little child that comes in and it's open and loving and receptive to life. And then suddenly it gets conditioned. And this is the, the experience of parents who are doing their best, but can only work within the limitations of what they can and what they can't do. So they, um, and often the way that I highlight this is the very example of the way we bring our children home and our decision often to put our children into a separate place from the parents at day one. So already a conditioning process has started. And in a lot of societies, that way of child rearing is, would be considered abusive. Mm. And yet for us, we've done that because we want the child to fit in with our society, you know, the convenience of life. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, there's lots of movements now, you know, coming through the West that are recognising that and, and that um, attachment parenting is, is certainly gaining gaining some some gentle traction which is yeah. which is yeah. which is nice so so we need to uh first and foremost be more like the flowing flexible bamboo that's that's really that's a really good take home secondly chris if we could do something that would um begin the process of reconnecting us with that intuitive part with our heart what would be one practice that our beautiful community of omlings could do that would take them a minute or less ideally but so i just I mean, the, the, the wonderful stuff about the evidence that about this is that that you know irrespective of what you've actually had happen to you in terms of life events mm. and, and 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 you know because some you know when i first trained in psychology and psychotherapy and that you know i had this view that you know if you got a really good start in life and everything went really well and things you would basically set up for life and then there's if you didn't then you were basically dealing with the, the you know the difficulties forever ever after yeah and just a certain extent that's true but what what really shows now is that if you have an attitude to life that you can, irrespective of what actually happens, if you can develop the right attitude, you can actually change the way that you respond. And that's what—that's the thing that I'm really interested in. And the core. And it's of, never too late. Yeah, it's well, never, never too, too late. late. No, no. Never too late. Never ever. Ever too late. And the core of that is that is honesty is the really is the really core of it. And and the first thing for the omlings that I would suggest that they do is that when they are experiencing something in that mindful moment to say what am I really experiencing? And to do it in a very honest way, like I am really angry, or I am afraid, or I am upset, or I am hurt, rather than going into kind of wishy-washy thing where they go, oh, I could be a little bit angry or whatever, but just 
or the judgmental of, you know, oh, I recognize I'm angry, oh, I mustn't be. Mm. Our conditioning, especially, you know, in certain things, for instance, women aren't expected or shouldn't be angry. The, 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 the judgment of what's going on is a head-centered experience. If we can bring ourselves into our body and just go, oh, does this feel right in my body? I feel angry. Oh, where, where do I feel it? So, so, so shifting it from our head into our body. So yes. if, I'm, if I'm having um, a moment of despair and, and, and fear or anxiety, I can say, oh, and, and I, I want to panic. If I was to shift that and say, well, wh where am I feeling that? Where, where exactly? Oh, I feel it. I feel tight around my heart. So, so I the ones feel like, like my that, stomach yes. squashing up. Is that yeah, what you mean? Exactly. To shift it? Now, the one thing, there's a step before that, Vicky, and it's really saying what, this step of saying, right now, what, do I, what, is, what am I feeling is key, because you won't be able to connect to that unless you really acknowledge what's really going on. So, and that honesty to me is really important. So it's the, I'm feeling upset, or I'm feeling this, or I'm feeling that. Then, what there is, is a feeling connected with that. Which the sensation. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, is going to say, is the sensation somewhere in the body. Now, we do a lot of this kind of work, and we have a lot of people, when you ask them to feel the feeling that's connected with a particular thought, they just are relating a thought because they're so disconnected from their bodies. Mm. They're so disconnected. And that, in that one minute, is to go, what am, I, what am I experiencing in this really honest way? And then, if they can, to go to the feeling. Mm. And the key with the feeling is that, to be very loving. And very kind. You're not going to like it. When I'm sitting there and I don't wake up in the morning and I'm feeling anxious, I go, wow, it's a great day. I'm feeling anxious this morning. Yes. What I can do is I can go, wow, there's anxiety. And I would just be gentle to me being anxious rather than actually making it wrong. Now, I kind of joke with people and I tell the story. And I said one morning, one night I woke up and I was just, I just, was just felt incredibly anxious in the middle of the night. And I sort of say to people when I go, well, do, you know, here am I teaching you about how to deal with anxiety and I'm still experiencing anxiety. What, what am I going to do, you know, in the sense of, you know, what a hypocrite. And then I just joke and I say, did I actually think that? And I would know because what I actually did is when I felt anxious, I was, because I expect to be anxious. I expect to be afraid because that's what it means to be a human being. Being a human being is that you have fear, you have anxiety, you have joy, you have hope. That's the richness and vitality of our life. Mm. And so when I've experienced anxiety, I don't go, why am I anxious? Why should it be here? What have I done? I just go, oh, I'm just anxious. And in this practice that we're talking about, of just going to it, being loving to it, it just stayed for a while and then moved on. And what I always... So sort of how you would be with your best friend. Well, although it's hard to feel um, as if it's a friend in our first experiences, we, we know that our struggles are our doorway into a, an, a bigger awareness of our mm. whole experience of life. So in a way, they are our friends, these difficult emotions. What I say for people who are coming into the practice very early, though, is um, hold that, uh, that experience in your body as if you were holding a, a baby. Someone just put a, a baby, someone else's baby in your arms and maybe the nappy's wet or something. It's not particularly pleasant, but you wouldn't drop that baby. Nothing in the world would allow you to drop that baby. Compassion is to give it love and to give it a safe place, to let it be heard. Mm. 
And this is what, you know, the conditioning of us, we shouldn't, this terrible incident, high incident of anxiety, oh, it's wrong to be anxious. Well, it's very unpleasant to live with anxiety. And anxiety will not have its moment and perhaps go into the universal law of passing away unless it is hurt, unless it's treated with compassion. And so we can be our own um, physician in our mental well-being by being present and holding these experiences in our body as if we were holding a baby with compassion. Yeah. Now, Vicky, from all my sort of experience on these things, I... I, you know, my experience is the universe is a place of healing, that the actual impulse of the universe on its deeper level, its deepest level is about healing. And the journey is to go, is to, for us to find out who we really are. That's the journey. Yes. And, and the things in life that we see from an ego point of view, which are about our problems and our issues and that we need to kind of struggle with them, is that's true on a certain level. But what actually happens is that we've set up in our minds, this place where life is about not being in the moment, but it's a future event that where I get rid of these things that are in the way, I'll reach this place, and where none of these things are going to happen. And 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 I see this with people all the time that they're always, you know, if I wasn't afraid, if I wasn't this, if this hadn't gone wrong, or if this hadn't happened, then I I would have been happy. Or if I can get rid of those, I'll get to a place where I will be happy. And then they have this idea that when they get there, there's going to be nothing that's going to be happening. You know, these things won't happen, which is just an illusion. Whereas what life is, is that our humanness, our very vitality, our humanness, is that these things happen to us, that things go wrong. We have successes, we have failure, we have joy, we have sadness. And what we haven't learned in life is what are the gifts of the so-called negative things? What is the gifts of sadness? What are the gifts of... of um, anger or what are these gifts and of course anger is not our, our vitality and it's in sadness that we find compassion. Compassionate people have, have had to have experienced sadness or things go wrong and this is what is actually our humanity. This is the very thing that makes us function as a human being is the fact that we know how to relate to these things and be with them in the right way. This is what it means to, for me and Brenda to be human. And, and so that, that would make sense then that we pay attention to these and, and um, do our personal work so that we do know um, and are able to see the gifts more fully in all of our experiences, not just the ones that we think we should. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Vicky, I'll tell you a story and it really highlights how we make these things wrong in our lives. We've got a 15-year-old son and he came back from school and he was upset about some things that had gone wrong at school. And as a parent, the first thing I asked him, what happened? And I caught myself and I said, well, well you know, what, 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 why did I catch myself? What was wrong in saying what happened at school? And what I was missing was the fact that he was actually upset. And, the, and what I was trying to do is if I found out what had happened at school and I could resolve those issues, then he wouldn't be sad. And what was actually most important was he was sad. Mm. And when I caught myself and I said, you look sad, then he could deal with the emotion and the issues at school were minor. But what, what in my, I caught myself was that I made sadness wrong. And I see this as that when our children or ourselves are feeling sad or we're feeling anxious or we're feeling down, we make it wrong and we try and find out what made us this mm. so we can get rid of it rather than seeing 
this is part of life, and yes, we need to look at the issue, but the main thing is right now, we're feeling a particular way, and this is what we need to give our attention to. This is what we need to bring this loving presence to, is this feeling that's here right now, and rather than making it wrong. It's interesting that it tends to be the, those negative those emotions that we see as negative, and I, and, I, and I say this very cautiously speaking with you both. <laughs> so we, we see the negative emotions as the, the, you know, the bad emotions or the, but they are, they do tend to be the emotions if we dwell on them for long enough that close us down and shut us down. Yeah. Um, and, and so if, if we're, if we're doing our personal work, and just being with these emotions for 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 what they are in that moment, does that naturally open us back up again? Uh, Vicky, I think most people are actually not feeling their emotions. I actually think they're in resistance to them. That's why that thing of being saying, able to say honestly what's going on is so important. Because what's happening for a lot of people is they hate the fact they're angry, mm. or they hate this, or they hate that. And actually what they're in is resistance. When you actually feel, truly feel a feeling, and I've worked with people who have had horrendous feelings of flying, as an example. Now, in their brains, they see themselves falling from the sky and then blowing the bits and everything like that. When they go down to the actual feeling, when they get their brain out of it's just a tightness in their belly. Mm. And for my experiences, a lot of people are just simply in resistance. They're not really feeling what's going on. Yeah. And at the very least, that would give you a um, shifting your attention to your belly and what's going on, how how that feels in your belly exactly. would give you a little bit of respite from yes. the voices inside your head, even just to to get you let you get your breath back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's what we do is we just train people or teach people to go out of their heads, go to the feeling. The mm. feeling is manageable. It's not overwhelming. It's your own body. Your head, in terms of your thinking process, can make it just... Highly unreliable. Highly, highly unreliable. <laughs> and it can just create stories. And hey, that's my head you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very lovely head, <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, you know, maybe this work sounds a little bit sort of um, indulgent, and but in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's the responsible work of someone saying, "Ah, this is my experience." Now, um, when I look at my um, my overhaul experience of life, and I have an element of EQ, which I know is something that you know a lot about the care, this emotional intelligence says to me, "Well, in order to be living in the value or the or the um, the way I see myself as, um, I need to get there by being real, being present in this moment to the challenges and things that come up and being present is not letting my head run my life with the great capacity of storytelling and, and um, elaborating on a situation. It's rather relying on the body. Mindfulness is done with the body. Go to the body, a reliable source of truth, give it the fullest attention and watch what the universe has for us is an undeniable um, uh, transmission, a transformation of experience. Um, truly important work for us to be emotionally intelligent and to really reap the rewards of a full and juicy life. Oh, thank you, thank you. So, so if we were to bring this into a nutshell, because we're 
almost at the end of this part of the show, and I've already in advance invited you, invited you both back, but we need to be more like the flowing, flexible bamboo. Yeah. <laughs> we need to shift where possible, or at least invite that shifting from our head and down into our bodies of the experience. But before we do that, Chris, we need to identify and be truthful about what it is that we're actually feeling. In a really loving way. In so a really loving that, way. That's, that's a great distinction. In yeah, a really like, loving way. So love feeling upset mm. and add, add, add kindness to that. It's okay that I'm feeling upset. And now where do I feel that in my body? Where, do, where is it that I feel that upset in my body? And I may be feeling it in, in my heart. And just being able to be with that will... Give me and it's really like Linda was saying, it's like holding in a very open way that's just there, allowing to change and move. And all it wants to do is just be released. You've yes. kept it there, you've, you've held it there, and all it wants to do is to go through its natural cycle, which is to rise, stay for a while and pass away. This is the natural cycle of life. If you're 46,000 yes. thoughts a day, there's a lot of thoughts come up and go. And we won't allow this with the emotional world, which is that they, all these emotions just want to come up and they go through us. And, and the only reason we don't is that we've been taught they're wrong or that we shouldn't do this. Or we're, we're yep, absolutely. And from that place, we then get to respond in a more whole way, whatever that is. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I'll, just, I'll tell you a quick story about some work I did with someone recently. And they came in, they had this big fear. And what when I got them to feel down into it, they felt this fear in their area of the heart. And they had an image. And the image was of this ball that was all these spikes around it and I just got them to go to this ball very very gently like in this way that I'm talking about and what happened is the ball those spikes began to sort of fade away and the ball began to soften and then I got them to just open up this ball as a small ball and in it was a like a, a kernel like you find in a um, in a fruit you know like most um, peach with the sort of ripples on it and again I just went them to go to this place that was really um, just soft and loving and that then opened up, and out of it came their um, their excitement about what they were that what they were doing. And what had happened is they'd gone and had an experience that had brought up fear. And what they'd done is they'd locked up this this excitement about this activity. So it was in the fear and the excitement are actually really important because this was actually about travel. And unless you you can't travel unless you're actually fearful, which means that you've got to be cautious. That's important. But if you, but in it was the excitement of travel. You see what I mean? And so what actually happens if you don't allow the two to be together as part and parcel, they can't function. So if you you can't travel unless you have a caution that's based around fear because it's too dangerous. And if you over, if you're too caught up in your fear, you can't enjoy the fantastic joys of traveling. Or if you uh, if you ignore the fear, then it becomes really dangerous. Mm. So uh, that's what life's about. It's the, having that balance between the two. That whole experience, not just not just um, focusing or looking or craving for one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I'm not cautious, I'll get run over the road. So fear is important. Yeah. is important. <laughs> just, just not... Not for us to dwell on it for too long that it paralyzes us to... Well, the only reason we dwell on it is we make it wrong. Yes. Because we've developed this attitude that we haven't been taught. Do you remember when you were growing up, your parents sitting down and telling you how to deal with fear? Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Of course. 
Yeah. Hey, look, I'm Frig Sad. So, look, this is how you deal with it. Yeah, right, they didn't. So they didn't. So we never learnt these skills. We didn't learn these skills. So, you know, and this is what Glenn and I talk about, is that, you know, we weren't given skills to live in a modern society. And as you both said earlier on in the show, it's never too late to start. So yeah. That's so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's... Just in this breath. Yeah, and... I, I, I read another study, and it's about people who were near death, and these people were in their 80s, and they were within about two weeks of death. And um, what they did is they put a, a dye into their brain to actually study the, you know, changes from the brain, and they taught them new activities within two weeks of their death, and when they did the autopsy, they could see that new brain cells had gone. Yeah, which is yeah, that's the joy of, of of modern science, isn't yep. it? That, it? that it's letting us know that actually it, it is never never too late to begin to experience yeah, life in a whole new way. And I think um, the work that that you both are doing are incredible in terms of helping people to create the conditions within themselves, not looking for out you know external sources to but to be actually create the conditions in themselves to live more wholly and more more completely. So I absolutely thank you on behalf of everyone um, out there for the work that you're doing. How can people get in contact with you both? Okay, well, we have a website which is um, um, mindfulnessmatters.co.nz um, and uh, that is probably the best way to reach us, isn't it, Chris? Yep. Yeah, yep. through all the W's, Mindfulness Matters. .co.nz. Yeah. We'll, I'll also pop that up on the link of this episode, so that will go up on all of our, um, you know, favourite online little addictions that we have. But thank you again, beautiful. And thank people. you, this, and thank you for your great work. Gosh, this is fabulous. Thank you, out to your omlings. <laughs> <laughs> go well, omlings. Yes, brings us to the end of another um, om show. So thank you for joining us. There are so many ways that we can stay connected. And as I said, we'll uh, make sure that we pop, pop the links up for Chris and Glenda on the couch and on our website, www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash OMM. Now here you'll find a growing number of fabulous shows and you'll join some outstanding com contributors on that couch who all, they're totally dedicated to supporting you in your wellness adventure. You can like us on um, Facebook. You can, um, of course, if you like this show, and I know that you all do, please go now and post it or share it or tweet it with your favourite online tribe and do go and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. So until next time, please do remember to pause, breathe and smile your way through your days as you reconnect with your own inner amazingness. Be more like that flexible bamboo and allow your unique gifts to warmly wash over the hearts of those around you. Thank you. Until next time. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.